You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. Who would have ever thought that bad weather, ice and snow would have disrupted uh, two weekends of services in a row. I'm, I'm kind of used to that in the mountains, but not down here. But my goodness, what a beautiful, beautiful snow that we had. And uh, I like what Ed said, what, what uh, we expected to be something where we would be out of power and uh, being trying to uh, keep our houses warm without electricity actually turned out to be something glorious and beautiful. And um, what a blessing to be able to see all the pictures online of your kids out playing in the snow and and I, when I say kids, I mean adults as well. Um, it was a wonderful thing, and we're, we're very grateful uh, for that beauty that God provided for us. I, I know that you may be looking out in your driveway this morning or looking out on the street that you live on, and you're thinking, wow, there's nothing really on the road. Um, you know, we probably could have been on campus today. Um, as you know, and I, I've told you this before, but I, I think it's worth saying again that uh, anytime we have a decision like that to make, it's not just me making that decision. It never is. I always consult with our, our uh, leadership, uh, and, and now as we have elders coming on, consulting with them and, and the staff, and, and just getting uh, everybody's kind of input on that. And when I got here this morning, I, I realized why it was a good decision, not so much of what I saw on the road. I did see a few spots that were probably ice that had already melted, but when I got here on campus to see the frozen sheet of solid ice down our sidewalks from one end of the building to the other uh, kind of reminded me that... Um, Sometimes in our haste to kind of want to get on campus, we can actually put some of you at risk, and that's why we made the decision that we did, uh, that uh, we were going to kind of stay at home and worship from home today and uh, do this as a, as a live broadcast. If you will, turn to Jeremiah chapter 11. As we continue to walk through the book of Jeremiah, um, as I read this text this morning, there, there's something that we, we need to deal with right at the very beginning. And it's the idea that when we look at the Old Testament and we look at specifically the nation of Israel and how they were responding to God, we can get very judgmental towards what we would consider those people. Uh, we've already mentioned it, but I want to dig a little deeper into this today because the idea is, is that here we have God doing powerful things within the nation of Israel, miracles, signs, wonders. We, we have God sending his prophets, the ones who are speaking on behalf of God. And from where we sit, looking back, it's easy to come to this conclusion, why in the world didn't they respond? Why in the world didn't they hear the word of the Lord and, and get right? And then we, we tend to think, well, we would have done differently. I mean, we, we would have listened to the Lord, right? We would have uh, obeyed him, we would have repented. I mean, all that they got to see and all that they got to experience and, and their history of God's involvement in their life, it would be easy for where we sit to look back at them and pass judgment on them and go, you know what? I, I, would, have, I would have got the message. Well, would you have gotten the message? And, and the question is, have you gotten the message that God has today? Because I think if we're not careful, we can judge them rather harshly while at the same time doing exactly the same things, and, and I'm guilty as charged. Let's take a look at the word this morning. Let's pick it up in chapter 11, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the, Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. 
Again, the Lord said to me, a a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to their iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars that you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, For I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. But with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed a disaster against you. Because of all the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and we thank you for the clarity of it. But Father, it is easy for us in this new covenant, this new relationship that we have with you through Christ, your son, who fulfilled the law, laid down his life as a sin offering, not for his sin, but for ours. It is easy for us in this age, in this stage of grace through Jesus that you have displayed for the whole world, it's easy for us to look back at like the people of Judah and be judgmental. But Father, it very well may be that the very same things we're accusing them of are the very same things we are guilty of today. So Father, I pray that uh, you would guide us in your word this morning, uh, that you may be exalted that you may be glorified in all the homes that are tuned in this morning, uh, in those warm homes that you have provided um, with the food that you've provided and the heat that you've provided and the shelter from the elements that you've provided. Father, we are grateful and we are thankful that we can gather even online and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Father, I pray that in all the houses that are gathered this morning as they're watching, we pray, Lord, that you would speak and you would speak clearly and loudly to each person who needs to hear this morning. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name, amen. In our judgmental attitude towards the people of Israel, specifically Judah, the southern kingdom, that is the focus of Jeremiah's message. In our quick uh, attitude to judge them for not responding to God, we have to consider that where we are today and where you're living today I would suspect that you struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. And that is that that on the one hand, hand, I want to find the truth and I want to live that truth out. I want to honor God with my life. I want to honor God with my resources. I want my life to have a a kingdom focus and have a kingdom impact as God has called me to have. And you, as every Christ follower under the sign of my voice, you have been called to have kingdom impact. As we together and individually uh, engage in great commission work, wherever we are, whether that be on our job or whether that be in our family or whether that be on the baseball field or the golf course or wherever we may be, that we are kingdom builders. Not that we have the power ourselves to build that kingdom, but the power that is in us and flows through us, we are called to great commission work. And it's my heart's desire to live out that great commission every day. Yet, yet... There is something else warring inside my body, inside my mind, inside my heart. And you know this to be true as well. There is something inside me that often derails my best intentions. I I intend to do the right things for the right reasons, but there are often times that I find myself doing the opposite. Sometimes what I know to be true, I don't live out. And even though I know that I'm going to stand before Christ one day and I'm going to give an account for every moment of my life, yet I know there are going to be some things that he's not going to be pleased with. So we have this, we have this war, this, well, this series of contradictions. 
we know what we ought to be doing, yet there are times we find ourselves doing something exactly the opposite. Now, this is not to make excuses. This is not to say that we can just brush that away. But what I want to show to you this morning is, is that the exact same things that were going on in the nation of Israel, as specifically the southern kingdom, are the same things that we're struggling with today. Those things that, we, that are right in front of us that we know to be right, yet we choose to do the opposite. And there are times that we hear warnings, but we ignore them. There are times that we know what the, the truth of what God's Word is, but yet we do something exactly 180 degrees the opposite. We know that we are called to walk with Jesus, but oftentimes we walk our own paths. So there is this contradiction. There is this, well, conspiracy. Now, I use that word cautiously because in the day and age, we, age in which we live with technology and everything else, we have all kinds of conspiracy theories, Right? And I would say that believing in a false conspiracy is one thing, but, but not believing one that happens to be true could be a whole other set of circumstances. And what I want to pose to you this morning, and, and God actually uses this word conspiracy in this text, is that there is something conspiring against you. We know that there is evil in the world. We know there is an enemy without. But guess what? There's an enemy within Oftentimes, my biggest struggle is me. Oftentimes, the one who's choosing to go the opposite path is me. Oftentimes, the war that is going on on the inside is the most profound war that we've ever had to face. These folks that we're looking at and have been looking at over the last few weeks, you've already seen over and over again, and, and you're going to see it more as we go on, is that the big issue that they've got is idolatry. They've turned themselves over to another God. And, and these people heard the word of the Lord. They heard Jeremiah. They heard what God was requiring of them, yet they ignored it. They were not turning away from their sin. And the question we've got this morning is why? Now, this is a question we're going to wrestle with, not just today. We wrestled with it last week. As the people would gather for worship of the holy God, yet at the same time, we're going through just the motions of rituals. The persons that we're talking about, the people of the southern kingdom, they knew the truth of the Lord. They knew his commandments, yet they chose to do something completely different. Why did they not repent? Why did they not turn back to God? Why did they continue down this path that eventually takes them down a path of destruction? Well, obviously, they were not listening to Jeremiah, and in turn, they were not listening to the Lord. As a result, God is going to bring disaster into their lives, and this morning, I want us to take a look at what God is saying to Jeremiah to say to the people in response to their stubbornness. And I want you to notice that God is speaking very loudly. He's reminding them of their past and that they're ignoring both. And that puts them in a place of great peril. Look at verse 1. The word came, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant. And speak to them, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, I've told you before that as you're reading God's word, anytime you see repetition in the text, you want to pay attention to that. Anytime that you're seeing words being used over and over again, we want to pay attention to that. Well, in this 17 verses, we see the word covenant multiple times. Now, when you are in the Old Testament, no matter where you are, no matter where you're reading in the Old Testament, the covenant is always vitally important to understanding what is happening in the text. Jeremiah is told to tell the people to listen to the covenant. He is told to tell the people that they are to listen to God, specifically to listen to the covenant that God made with them and their ancestors. And as we look back in the Old Testament, we'll see Different times where God spoke to individuals and to entire nations about what his requirements were for his people that had been called out of a world of darkness and called into light. Remember, the nation of Israel was established to be light to the rest of the nations. And to live out that light, they must live out according to God's purpose and plan in their life. In other words, God would provide the law for the people to know how they were to live as light in a world that was cold and dark. And God would say to them through covenants, the first one being, or the first major one in relation to the Jewish people was the covenant with Abraham. 
And if you go back in Genesis 12 and 15, you don't have to, but if you go back there and you look, you'll see that that promise, that covenant that God made with, with Israel and the descendants of Abraham was basically that they were going to have a land. They, they were going to be a large, large family that they were going to have multiple descendants. God described it as so many that almost like the stars of the sky or the sand on the beach, that's how many descendants was going to come from Abraham. God also said that that, that nation was going to be a blessing to every other nation. Now, in Genesis 15, we see this incredible story. I won't recount the whole thing, but, but God and Abraham come together in this moment in Genesis 15, and, and God tells Abraham to cut some animals, take some bodies of animals, cut them in half, and lay them out. And we know that this was often done in, in Abraham's day where two people were going to go into a contract together. They would stand between the carcasses, the hives of these animals, and they would agree to do something. And both party was required to fulfill their end of the contract. And basically, as they shook hands or, or confirmed to keep the, a contract between them, basically they were saying that if they failed in that contract, they'll let their lives end just like the lives of the animals that was laying around them that had been slaughtered. Well, God tells Abraham to slaughter some animals, to lay them out in a very specific way. But then he puts Abraham in a trance and lays him off to the side. And, and God comes down and he passes between the carcasses of his animals. And what we need to understand about that covenant with Abraham and his descendants was that it was an unconditional covenant. In other words, God was going to provide them a land. God was going to provide them offspring, many of them. And God was going to be a blessing to the nation. And it did not matter what Abraham did or didn't do. It didn't matter what his descendants did or didn't do. God was going to keep those promises, and he did keep those promises. And he will continue to keep those promises. It was unconditional. In other words, it wasn't contingent upon Abraham doing something. It was all contingent upon God keeping every one of those promises. Now, fast forward. The nation of Israel comes out of Egyptian bondage. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. God is speaking and giving the law to Moses. And if you look at Exodus 19... Exodus 19, God says to Moses to go talk to the people, to speak to them about the requirements of what it means to be in a relationship with him, and that was going to be defined in the law. And the people said to Moses, we will do all that God requires of us. God gives the law, specifically you know the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The people repeat later on, we will do all that God requires of us. So in the, this covenant of the law that was given through Moses to the people, it was a conditional covenant. In other words, as long as the people, God's people, walked their lived out their lives according to the law, that God would bless them, that they could remain in the land, that, that they would be blessed as God's people as long as they walked by his precepts. Now, let's go back to Jeremiah 11. Well, what Jeremiah is talking about, what God is talking to Jeremiah about is that covenant that was conditional. That the people must live out what God has called them to. And as a response, God would bless them. Now, this is not a kind of a pay-to-play type thing. This is simply the people saying, we're going to honor God with our lives and our choices and the way we, the way we handle our money, the way we're going to handle each other, the way we're going to live as neighbors. We are going to honor God as an act of worship. And God says, as a result, I'm going to bless you with a, man, with a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to bless you with what you need and take good care of you. That's what God is talking about here, because the people have turned their backs on God. Now, along with that covenant, that conditional covenant, God says that, that along with that covenant, there is both blessing and curse. As long as they are obedient and not rebelling against God, Blessing was the result. If they begin to rebel against God and turn their backs on God, then a curse was going to be the result. That's exactly what he's saying to them through Jeremiah right in these first five verses. So what we have here is God speaking loudly and clearly over and over and over again. He's taking them back to not only the Abrahamic covenant that you have a land, I'm going to keep those promises. But he's also taking them back to the covenant through Moses, that conditional covenant. And he's saying to the people, I have spoken to you over and over again about what it means to live in a relationship with me. 
Look at what he says here. He says, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you, so you shall be my people and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. So God says to the nation, to the southern kingdom, he says, I've spoken and I've spoken and I've spoken and I've talked and I've talked and I've sent prophet after prophet after prophet. I've spoke through the covenant. I've spoke through blessings. I have spoke over and over again. God, in this moment, in the, in the moment of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom, what we find is a patient God, what we find is a, a God who is filled with grace, but what we also find is a God whose patience is about to run out. God didn't arrive at this place of judgment overnight. It's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of consistent rebellion and disobedience. This southern kingdom knows what happened to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already been wiped off the map by the Assyrians. They saw it. They had a front row seat to it. That was God speaking loudly, not only to the northern kingdom, but to the southern kingdom, saying, you had better get your life right with me. So this first step of what God says to Jeremiah to say to the people is he's simply saying to the people, please listen to me. I think that God is speaking to you because that's what God does. From Eden to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Samuel, David, Solomon, all the way to Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, all the way through Paul and all the apostles, what do we find over and over again consistently with God? God speaking over and over again. He's speaking words of blessing, but he's also speaking words of correction. And God has been consistent from the beginning of time until today. And that God has spoken clearly of what his expectations are for his people. God spoke the loudest and the clearest through his son, Jesus. John describes Jesus as the very word, the Greek word being logos. That God made his revelation to humanity about who he is, what he expects through Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that, that many people wrote from various times and various, various ages that, that, that they have spoken on behalf of God. But today, now, God has spoken through his son. God's word to us. So what God is saying to Jeremiah is the same thing that God is saying to us. You might want to listen. You might want to listen. For those of you who are lost and have never put your faith in Christ, there's a drawing power. You know what it feels like. Maybe you've been resisting it for quite some time. For all of us who've put our faith in Jesus, we know what it's like to be in that place of considering following Jesus and feeling that, sensing that drawing of God drawing us to a place of surrender and faith. If you're sensing that this morning as a non-believer, someone who's never put your faith in Jesus, then, then don't reject that. That's the God of the universe speaking to you. For those of you who follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to speak and it's not in a loud, booming voice. It's not in a burning bush. It's not in necessarily altogether circumstances, although God can use those. It's a still, small voice. And I'm concerned that today we are so busy and running to and fro all over the place, doing all that we have to do with all the technology, that we're not taking the time to hear that still, small voice. And it does take time to hear it, to recognize it. God says to Jeremiah, to the people, I'm speaking, and you would do well to listen. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 6. He says, not only am I speaking to you, but I want you to consider the past. I want you to consider what I've done historically in the nation of Israel. He said, the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words. Verse 7, for I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in their stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. When you look in the Old Testament, what you will find consistently is God speaking and God acting, God promising and God fulfilling. 
Matter of fact, as the Old Testament spills over into the New Testament, where do we find fulfillment, 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 over and over again, especially in the person of Christ. But what God is saying to Jeremiah to say to the people is, not only should you listen to my voice, but you should also look at your history. And when you look at your history, you're going to find that I warned your ancestors exactly the same way that I'm warning you. And what you'll find is that they also ignored me. They also, with the stubbornness of their heart, their unwillingness to surrender and repent, what you will find is, is that I also brought judgment on them. The, the Old Testament is filled with God's correction in the lives of his own people. Do not think for a moment, do not think for a moment that just because you've put your faith in Jesus, somehow you can figure out how to live in the world and for Jesus at the same time and not and not ever find any correction from God. The entire counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation speaks very clearly against that idea. There is no way you can do it. And what Jeremiah is being told by God is, hey, just take a look back. You don't have to look very far. Just, just, just take the wilderness wanderings. Just, just take the part where I bring them out of Egypt, out of that great furnace, and look at what happens to different segments of the nation of Israel when they disobey me. There were people who, who rose up against Moses. There were people who complained wanting to go back to Egypt. And you can find on the pages of Scripture in the Old Testament where God basically wipes them out and brings judgment into their life. What God is saying to Jeremiah and what he's saying to us is that God has been consistent, consistent in speaking, consistent in keeping his promises. Don't think for a minute that somehow the day the God that you follow is not the same God of the Old Testament. I often hear that, right? I hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath and the God of the, the New Testament is a God of grace. That couldn't be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is, is that the God of, the, of Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy is the same God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Ephesians and Colossians, he has not changed. He does not change. So we have to wrestle with the idea that, that not only is God speaking, but God will bring correction. Because we have plenty of testimony revealing that. He says, consider the past. What they failed to see, what... what what they failed to understand is that every law, every warning that God provided to these people through prophets and otherwise was an act of love. We don't often think about that, right? Maybe when you were a kid and, and maybe your parents used corporal punishment where you know, they would spank you or something. Maybe, maybe your parents said something like this, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. You didn't believe it then, did you? Maybe it's even harder to believe today that God would correct and he would do it out of love. But God's law, the commandments that he gives and provides, th those are all kind of like boundaries, kind of like guardrails. To keep the nation of Israel in between these two guardrails because on the other side of those guardrails is all kinds of destruction. And that's exactly what the southern kingdom is experiencing. They're going after Baal, and as a result, as I told you last week, Manasseh had introduced child sacrifice into the southern kingdom. God put boundaries on Israel to say, no, 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 we're not going there because the reason we're not going there is what the rest of the nations are doing. I've called you out of that. And not only that, life is precious. Children bear the image of God. We're not going to sacrifice them to some false deity. God is not asking them to sacrifice their lives to him. That's what set him apart from every other false god and every other nation who were bowing down to them. God was not being harsh. He was wanting to protect his people. Your parents, teenagers, are not being harsh when they put boundaries on how much technology you're going to have to be exposed to or what movies you can and can't see. Your parents aren't simply doing that because they're mean, awful people. They're doing it because they know you're not ready for it yet. They're doing it because they've lived a life of wisdom and they've learned some things and gained wisdom through those experiences. And so they're spending some boundaries in your life to say, no, you're not doing that. It's because they love you. Same reason that God does it. So God says, listen to me. They didn't listen. God says, consider the past and what I've done in the past. Well, guess what? They didn't consider that either. On December 7th, 1941, about 7 a.m. in the morning, a guy by the name of George Elliott 
was sitting at a radar station on the, on the tip of Oahu in Hawaii. And this radar equipment was kind of a new technology in 1941, and, and he was watching this radar screen, and right around 7 a.m. that morning, he sees a large mass on his radar screen of something it looks like it's flying. Of course, that's what he was looking for. He was looking for any um, airplanes or anything that was coming in to Hawaii, and he sees something large, it's massive, and he Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a technology failure. Maybe the thing's not working correctly. So he, he calls his higher-ups. They don't get back with him immediately. Eventually, his higher-up calls him and says, look, don't worry about it. There's a dozen B-17 bombers that are flying into Hawaii from L.A., from Los Angeles, California. They're flying in, and you should be expecting them, and that's probably what you're seeing on the screen. So George, he, he and another guy stays there a little while longer, and they watch it, and eventually they, they're done with their shift, and they, they leave. Well, that blip that was on that radar was not B-17 bombers. It was 183 Japanese fighter planes who then relentlessly bombed Pearl Harbor where thousands of lives were lost. Well, what could have happened? I mean, think about it. What could have happened if, if the higher-up and, and, and I'm not here to blame anyone. I don't know the whole story, so I'm not here to blame. I'm just saying, what if, what if the people of Pearl Harbor could have got 15 minutes of warning that, hey, we've got bombers coming in? Could that have made a huge difference? It probably wouldn't have put an end to the bloodshed that happened on that day, and certainly there would have been loss of ships and otherwise. But what if some of the soldiers had been able to man their stations been able to, to get their guns ready and get them pointed towards the sky and know which direction to be looking. Could, could it have made some kind of difference? Certainly, I think it could have. Isn't it interesting that after every major terrorism event that we've experienced, especially 911, isn't it interesting that, that after all the investigation is done, after the event happens, one of the things we find out was is there were all kinds of warning signs that either got explained away or wasn't acted upon. God's been warning these people over and over and over again for hundreds of years, and they've ignored it over and over again. So even though God is saying, listen to me, I'm speaking, and even though God is saying, look back in your history, you'll see how I've responded, these folks still are continuing to reject God and his prophet. So if we're, got, if we're not going to listen to God... And we're not going to consider the faithfulness of God acting in history, then there's only one thing left for us to do. And it starts in verse 9. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after God to serve them. And the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my com commandment or my covenant. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. If we're not going to listen and we're not going to consider that God always keeps his promises, then the only thing left for us to do is to fear the future. That's all that's left. If we're going to reject his word and reject his works in real-time history that we can read on the pages of Scripture, if we're going to reject both of those, then the only thing left is fear. Because God will follow through. God will keep his promises. God will bring correction. God will step into your life. And if you are walking off into disobedience, he will bring correction. Now, God is a patient God. He is a loving God. He extends grace and mercy hand over foot over and over again. But there is a time, there is a time where God's patience says, okay, we're going to move to the next step. Correction is coming in the form of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, at this point in time, that nation was already growing in great power. People were already talking about Babylon. People were already talking about all the other nations that they'd steamrolled. They were already aware of this nation called Babylon. They will be taken into captivity for 70 years. Many of them will die. Many of them will be left in the streets to starve to death. Many others will be taken 
900 miles away. That's what's on their doorstep. If they had only listened to what God's word was, what the truth was, if they had only considered that this is what God has consistently done with our forefathers, they could have come to a place of repentance, yet they don't. I find something amazing in this text. Look at verse 14. And this really got my attention. Verse 14, God says to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. That just blew me away. How many, how many times has God said those words? I mean, it, it can't be many. I mean, where we live in, in this, this covenant of, this new covenant of Jesus' blood, we're told to pray without ceasing, right? Where we're told to, to pray and to keep on praying. But here, in this place, in Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, do not pray for these people. And that, I don't know, that just really got in my head this week. So I begin to kind of wonder, how, how many times has God said that? Well, I didn't do an exhaustive search, but what I could find is he says it three times in the book of Jeremiah. Three times to Jeremiah, God says, don't pray for them, don't pray for them, don't pray for them. But there's an interesting story that I found in Joshua chapter 7. Turn to Joshua 7. A very interesting account in Joshua 7, as Joshua is leading the people, and this is the, the unified nation, well, I guess we should say unified, but this is the nation of Israel. Not so much unified yet, but they will be. And Joshua has led them across the Jordan River. Moses has died, and Joshua is the leader. And they have already taken Jericho. And then they come up to their next opportunity to take more of the land, and it's a place called Ai. And in chapter 7, if you read it, you'll see where Joshua sends some people over to spy the land out to see kind of what their defense capabilities were. Well, when his spies come back, they said to Joshua, verse 3, do not have all the people go up, but let two or 3,000 go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. In other words, the spies come back and say to Joshua, there's no need for us to go at Ai with our full forces. Let's just send a couple, two or 3,000 up there. They are few, not going to be a problem, going to be easy peasy as far as that goes. We've got this. Well, Joshua listens. By, by the way, you'll find that there's no prayer in here. There's no Joshua consulting with God about what they should do. So Joshua sends them up there, and they are absolutely, completely defeated. By this few people in Ai that should have been an easy battle to win, they go up there, and the next thing you know, they are put to running. They, they had to run for their lives. Verse 6, it says that Joshua fell on his face and began to tear his clothes and begins to call out to God on the, and what happened here? God, God, you have promised us this land and you have promised to be with us and you have promised to do all these things. And Joshua pleads with God that, hey, you made the promises. What happened here? Are we just going to be handed over into the hands of the Amorites? I want you to look at verse 10 at what God, how God responds to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. In other words, stop praying. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. You know what Israel had done? Well, they had taken some of the idols, and one family in particular had hid it in their tent, something they were not supposed to do. They were not supposed to take all the places, all the idols, and begin to, to turn their heart, because God knew that if they begin to turn their heart just a little bit towards these idols, that it would be like a cancer that spreads through the entire nation. And God says to Joshua to stop praying, to get up, and to deal with the issue. Are there times where God has spoken, and God has spoken, and God has spoken, and God has spoken. You have heard the gospel over and over and over again. You have heard God say to you that whatever you're participating in is wrong over and over again. Is there a time where we should act? Is there a time where we should simply repent? Is there a time where we should simply turn away from our sins and turn back towards God? Yes. doesn't mean we stop praying. It simply means that there are times where God has spoken clearly. You know what your next step is. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. You have heard from the Lord. You've heard from him in his word. You know exactly the conviction that you're under. It's time to act. 
So Jeremiah is told, don't pray for them, they know. Now God's going to continue to speak to Jeremiah. Jeremiah Jeremiah's going to continue to speak the message. But I find it amazing that God says, do not pray. Listen to this. He says, or lift up a cry. For I will not listen when they call on me. Why, why would God do that? Because they haven't been listening to him. And we know, we all know this. We have a tendency that when things go south, when things get hard, that may be the only time we call out to God. And God in his grace and God in his mercy, oftentimes with great patience, still answers, still moves, still works on our behalf, even though we're not walking with him. But there could be a time where God says, you know what? I'm going to let you suffer with that for a little bit. You won't listen to me. You won't hear me. You won't consider what I've done in the past. So maybe some circumstances may get your attention. I think there's another place in Scripture that we need to consider this morning about this wrestle that we have on the inside of us, this this grand conspiracy. You see, our flesh, for those of us who are born again, we, we still deal with our old way of thinking. Now, as we grow in Christ, Christ begins to grow us up in him, and we begin to think more like him and live more like him, but it's a journey, and we don't arrive at the end of that journey until the Lord takes us home. Between now and then, walking with Jesus, there are going to be times we choose to do the opposite. There are going to be times we choose to do the other thing, not because not because that's, not what, that that's what we necessarily want. We want to please Christ, but then... The flesh gets involved, and there's a conspiracy that rises up against us, and the next thing you know, the things we ought to be doing, we don't find ourselves doing, which brings me to Paul, the apostle. There's an amazing text in Romans chapter 7, if you'll turn over there. This is where we'll end today. Romans chapter 7, Paul, the great church planner, the the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, in Romans 7, we, we see this listed out for us in the life of Paul. We see this struggle, this, this wrestling with what he knows is right versus what he finds himself doing. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, look at what Paul says. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, listen to this, evil lies close at hand. There's your conspiracy right there. The same thing the southern kingdom was dealing with, the the, the replacement of Jehovah God with false idols and bowing down to them. Paul says he's wrestling with what he knows to be right, yet so many times he finds himself doing the wrong things. He says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it. He says, evil lies close at hand, verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in other words, in my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen to how he wraps it up. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, he doesn't leave us without hope. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but I find myself with my flesh serving the law of sin. Paul knew the struggle. You, as a follower of Jesus, you know the struggle. You know that there are things that you want to do right in accordance to God's will, but you end up doing the opposite. So where does this lead us? Well, in relation to the southern kingdom, I can tell you where consistently living in rebellion will lead you. Consistently living in rebellion, consistently listening to the flesh, consistently doing that which you know is not right, you are in those moments getting warning signals. Believer, let me me speak to you just a minute about guilt. Now, in our world at large, the world is telling us to not live in guilt, to try to uh, ignore guilt. Guilt is a bad thing. Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. Guilt is a good thing, especially if you've done something wrong. <laughs> if, you've, if you've violated what Christ has called you to do, guilt is a good thing. Guilt is that 
flag that God raises up the, the flagpole in your heart and saying something's not right. Now, if we continue to ignore that, if we continue to ignore the warning signals, just like Elliot did when he watched the radar, you continue to ignore that, then God is going to bring some difficulty in your life to bring correction into your life. Remember, believers, you are sons and daughters of a king. You are sons and daughters of God most high. God has purchased you with a price, and he will bring correction. But Paul is aware of the struggle. Are you aware? I wonder if sometimes we, we get so accustomed to obeying the flesh that we don't even consider that we should be at war with the flesh. Have we, have we, listened, to, have we listened to the desires of our old nature more than we've listened to God? And therefore, we have no wrestle at all within us. It's that whatever temptation comes, we engage in it. I would say that that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So maybe it's not about, is there a war? It's, do you even recognize it? Do you even recognize that, that there is a war going on? Why would Paul say in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following, why would Paul say to the believer, put on the whole armor of God? If there wasn't enemies without and within, why would Paul say, you need the breastplate of righteousness. You need the belt of truth. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the sword, the word of God. You need the shoes shod with the gospel of peace. Why would Paul even say that if, if there wasn't a battle raging? Paul knew it. I believe you know it. For those of you who have been called out of darkness into light, you know that Christ has called you to walk with him. So you know that there's a war raging. But I think far too often we just ignore the warning signs. And then for the unbeliever, you're receiving warnings as well. You're receiving guilt over the way you're living your life. Unbeliever, why do you think it is that every time you turn the radio on, you hear somebody talking about Jesus? Why is it that, that your, your grandmother or your parents won't stop talking about it? Why is it that it seems everywhere you go, prayer comes up, or God's word comes up, or the word Jesus comes up? Unbeliever, why do you think that's happening? It's because God is speaking to you, and he's drawing you to himself, and he's doing it through various peoples and various avenues, and he's saying to you, it's time to surrender. It's time for you to give up trying to control your own life and put your faith in him. Why is it that it keeps coming up? It's because the Lord loves you. And he's patient and he's kind and he's extending grace to you over and over again. But let me tell you, let me tell you very clearly that if you continue to ignore that, it'll eventually go away. It'll eventually, you'll get to a place to where that cold, dead heart becomes even more cold and even more dead, if that's even possible, right? The Bible says that we're spiritually dead before we come to faith in Christ. What does it mean to be even more dead, it means to be not even hearing the voice of God calling you and drawing you. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So God will use his truth because God speaks. God, God will use history and he'll show you in time through all scripture and even in the lives of the people you're around that have put their faith in Jesus, you can see God at work. You can hear the voice of God calling you but if you ignore the God who speaks and you ignore the God who works in real-time history, then there's only one thing left, and that is deep, deep fear of your future because God absolutely, positively is going to bring destruction. The God of the New Testament who says to us that he's going to wrap this thing up, the God of the New Testament who says through Peter that the earth is going to burn with a fervent heat, the the God of the New Testament who says through the writers of the New Testament, listen, there is a place called hell and there's a place called heaven. And I'm not going to force you to believe. You must put your faith the only place that it matters, in a resurrected king. So this morning, we are not so different than the people of the southern kingdom, are we? The reality is, is that we're wrestling with hearing God and knowing that God is faithful 
But if we reject both of those, make sure you understand there is correction coming. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for your grace. Um, Grace by its very nature is something we didn't deserve. And Father, it'd be easy for us to judge the southern kingdom. It'd be easy for us to look down at them and to, to say that we're somehow better, that we somehow got it all figured out and they didn't. But Father, the same question that we pose towards the southern kingdom is the same question that we can pose to ourselves this morning. Why are we ignoring the clear words that you have spoken? And why are we ignoring the fact that you have worked consistently in history all down through time and space, not only with your people Israel, but also with the church. Father, you have been faithful. We have plenty of history to prove that out. If we ignore both of those, then it's in our own peril. Father, it's not your desire that any perish, but all come to repentance. For the unbeliever, for the one who is dead in their sins, Father, may they stop and listen to the word that's calling them to salvation, to truth, and to life. For the believer, that we would no longer be slaves to our flesh and slaves to the conspiracy that's going on inside of our head, but that we would truly live out what you've called us to live out for both, Lord. I pray that they would hear and they would respond. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, Hyde Park Baptist